Welcome to the podcast, How to Be Well and Strong. I'm your host, Jacqueline Genova, and I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with some of the leading figures in the fields of wellness, integrative medicine, and mental health as we discover what it truly means to be well and strong in both body and mind. Get ready to be empowered, inspired, and motivated about being an advocate for your own health. Welcome to today's episode on the How to Be Well and Strong podcast. I am thrilled to be speaking with Dr. Anita Upal about ADHD, a topic about which I have received numerous questions from listeners. Dr. Anita did her undergraduate degree in biotechnology from RIT. She completed her master's and PhD in bioinformatics at UNC Charlotte. Her passion for human health was always a focus of her learnings. She has experience in microbiology, molecular biology, tissue culture, and bioinformatics. During her PhD, she studied the molecular mechanisms of essential oils on human health, and that is when her passion for plants for human health applications really took off. She currently works for a seed company called Vindara. Vindara breeds plants for vertical indoor farming with a focus on bringing key nutrients, colors, and flavors back into traditional crops. Dr. Anita, Welcome to the show. I'm truly thrilled to chat with you about this topic because ADHD is something that many people suffer with, as you know, and sadly aren't necessarily aware that there are holistic strategies beyond medication to really improve their symptoms. And you had written a piece on this for Well and Strong a while back, which I'll link in the show notes. But I'm really looking forward to just hearing your take on some alternative therapies to help manage this condition. Firstly, thank you for having me, Jacqueline. I'm, I'm really excited. Um, you know, ADHD is, is a topic just really close and dear to me because, you know, I've had ADHD and a lot of these coping mechanisms are things that I have found that worked for me, um, but it, it wasn't easy. And taking a step away from the medic- medication side of it was, was really hard for me. So um, I think it was great that you said that this was a topic of interest because I was so excited to share you know, some of the things that have worked for me with other people. And if there's just one thing that helps one person, then it's worth it. So let's start with the basics. What is ADHD and how can someone be sure they have it? And I mean, I'll sometimes joke in conversation that I feel like I have it when in reality, I think it's just that my mind skips around so frequently because I tend to multitask. So how does one actually discern the truth there? Right. So, you know, ADHD and ADD have actually been such an interesting topic for psychology and and medicine, um, because for a while it wasn't actually recognized as a condition. And then we've started to shift as recognizing it as a condition. And you can now like diagnose it on the psychology DSM level, but for a while you could not. Um, So, you know, it's it's always had like a bit of a loose terminology because I don't think we really fully understand it yet. Um, But ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder and Attention Deficit Disorder. Um, The difference between the two is, you know, the added H in ADHD, which is hyperactivity. So that person tends to just um, be a little bit more hyperactive in their ADD. So they tend to have, you know, trouble sitting still. Um, Physically, they have trouble... Um, staying put, whereas ADD can be someone who can sit still, but the attention span still isn't there. So they're sitting there and they're still and they seem like they're focused, but they're actually not and they're not able to engage. Um, Whereas the hyperactivity can also be due to the fact that they just physically cannot sit still, you know, everything in them, they're feeling like they need to get up, they're feeling anxious, Um, that is more like ADHD. 
Um, and so for a while they, they had trouble actually thinking of how do we diagnose someone with ADHD? So, uh, what's interesting is when I was diagnosed actually in high school, um, my doctors actually sent my teachers a questionnaire of like observations and different questions, um, that links a lot of symptoms to ADHD. So my doctors, you know, or my doctors, excuse me, my teachers observed me and then filled out the questionnaire. And then my doctor kind of compiled that from all of my teachers. And that's how they were like, you know, she might be experiencing some symptoms of ADHD. Um, to my understanding, um, and this might have changed, but when I went to high school, um, if you're under 18, that that's how it had to be diagnosed. Like your teachers had to fill out this form. And now, obviously, you can probably go to a psychiatrist and get like professionally diagnosed. Um, but that was kind of like the system or the process that my doctor told me when I was in high school and how we were going to go about getting myself diagnosed. And actually, when I went to college and I was still on prescription medications, they actually needed proof that I was diagnosed in high school. So they actually called my pediatrician and got all the files and these records from when my doctors did the, or my teachers did the original, original observations. So um, it's, it's definitely, I think changed a bit. And like I said, now, like you can go see a psychiatrist to get diagnosed. But um, at the time that was what my doctor said was the process for being under 18. Now, if you're over 18, you know, that obviously you don't need to get your teachers to agree that you're struggling with ADHD. You should probably just go straight to your doctor who, who might diagnose you themselves or refer you to a psychiatrist. So that's just a little bit of background in ADHD. Yeah. Are people born with ADD and ADHD or is it something that could develop? Is it something that presents later on in life? And if so, what is the most common age for it to present? Right. So um, from a medical standpoint, they haven't really been able to fully say it's genetically genetically, and you know your genetics are responsible, but they, they do feel like with the research they have now, there is a little bit of a push towards genetics. Typically, and I always say typically because I don't think every individual is the same, but typically it does show up in early childhood is usually when we start to see the symptoms of, you know, then having trouble focusing, having communication issues. Um, typically, a lot of kids struggle with ADHD. Uh, they'll speak out a turn or they'll interrupt a lot or they have trouble getting their thoughts out. Um, there's a lot of different symptoms that are typically easy to, to figure out in children. Um, and sometimes, though, adults are diagnosed with ADHD and but typically, they are adults with ADHD that actually had the symptoms from when they were children. And, it, I, you know, they most of the time, they just didn't notice. Or sometimes, you know, when you start dating someone, they're like, you know, yeah, they feel like you might have some ADHD. Um, my mom was one of those people. It wasn't actually until I was diagnosed and seeing psychologists and things like that, that she realized she probably has it as an adult and seeing how my mom behaves. I do think she has a lot of adult ADHD-like symptoms. So, but when my mom was a kid, it was not, it was not even known, right? So I think there's probably a lot of adults out there that don't even know they have it because so much we've learned about ADHD in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. And for a while, doctors did actually think that, you know, environmental factors or socioeconomic status and things like that could play a role in how it forms. But now they're kind of reluctant to say that that's the reason, but they just think those factors can make it worse, more or less. So depending on the environment you're in, you know, how much of a role your parents are playing, taking care of you and raising you can also just kind of compound um, how mismanaged your ADHD becomes or how worse it can get. 
Yeah. And that ties into the whole field of epigenetics too, right? And I had touched on this in a previous episode, and that's the idea that environment will dictate whether or not the genes that we inherently are born with are expressed. With that though, so outside of genetics, could brain injury also cause ADHD? I don't want to say too much about traumatic brain injuries because I'm not a neuroscientist, but I do think, you know, TBIs can cause an array of neurological symptoms. Um, I think it can also impact certain parts of the brain that ADHD also impacts. So it might not necessarily be ADHD, but it might be very similar symptoms due to the TBI in general, if that makes sense. Um, But I'm not necessarily would say that, you know, TBI can form ADHD, but I would think maybe because of the traumatic impact um, and like different parts of your prefrontal cortex and different parts that have a lot of symptoms associated with ADHD can probably begin to overlap. Yesterday, I actually had a conversation uh, with a concussion doctor who specializes in a holistic approach to concussion recovery. And we had touched on a bit of like the mental, emotional, I guess, consequences of concussions that could develop later on. So this is the fun part for me now. Holistic strategies to manage symptoms. What role do, again, like you listed so many different strategies in, in your article. Let's start with nutrition. What role does nutrition play in ADHD management? And what are some foods that could improve symptoms, but also potentially make symptoms worse? Yeah. So I'm just going to pull up one of my references. So I have to remember some of the things that I specifically listed for you. Um, so I, I also just want to actually before we dive into different therapies, I do just kind of want to come out and say that it's okay to medicate. Um, I know a lot of people find medications very beneficial for ADHD. And although we have great holistic therapies, um, I don't want this to come off as, you know, that you should feel shameful for having to take ADHD medicine or having to take stimulants, or if you're struggling to get off of your stimulants, because it is really, really difficult to stop taking um, ADHD medications. So um, if if someone is taking it, I don't suggest you just stop taking it altogether. It's something you really need to taper down with your doctor um, on a plan. And that is how I got off of it. But um, some of these alternative therapies, they can absolutely overlap with medication. So if you're someone who already takes medication, everything I recommend you can take with your, you know, Vyvanse or Adderall or whatever you're taking. um, And it can still help symptoms of ADHD. Yeah. And that's the beauty of an integrative approach, right? It's that these natural treatments complement, you know, the conventional ones. So right. can you agree more? Right. So um, artificial food coloring. So the research is out there. There are correlations between kids having artificial food dyes, especially the red color dye and having increasing symptoms in ADHD. Um, so obviously it, it comes pretty naturally as, as you're in holistic nutrition that, you know, processed foods, processed food dyes, most of that stuff isn't really going to provide our body and metabolism, the nutrients it really needs to function. And I also think children, their metabolisms are so fast and they burn through so many calories just growing the way they do. So the worst thing we can do for children is to give them these processed junk food with colors and dyes and, you know, like a fruit roll up. <laughs> It has absolutely like no nutrition in it, right? You're getting like artificial flavors, you're getting, you know, sugar, you're getting corn syrup, you're getting the dyes, like, 
And that is a a standard snack for kids, right? You see it all the time and I'm sure they sell out of it in so many grocery stores. Um, So, but it has been proven in research that artificial food dyes can make symptoms of ADHD worse. So the first thing I say is, you know, if you can remove those artificial dyes in whatever form, drinks, food, you know, snacks, then like that's, that's a really good first step. Um, and then something else, you know, you, you definitely want to minimize sugar. It is true that if you have ADHD, sugar can make that hyperactivity worse. And I mean, what it comes down to is basic biology, right? Glucose and, and your body using it and giving you energy. And if you're already super energetic, it's probably going to make you more energetic. And then not only that, it's probably going to make you crash after. So um, if you're in school and you're having these high sugar snacks in the morning, your ADHD is probably going to be worse in the afternoon because they're going to crash. And then their, their ADHD compounded on the sugar crash is probably just going to make, you know, them just have that much more trouble focusing in class. Um, Some of the other things, obviously, like it kind of goes without saying, right. Fruits and vegetables, um, things that they can actually get nutrients from, uh, you know, healthy, just wholesome foods are going to be great. And I want to just put a little emphasis on like fatty acids, So fatty acids are really the building blocks for a lot of our cognitive function. Um, So I actually went to a nutrigenetic seminar, not actually a few years ago when I was in grad school, and they were studying how um, fatty acids uh, impact the brain development in pregnant women. So it's super important when you're pregnant that you're taking prenatals that have fatty acids in there. You're eating, you know, grass-fed butter grass-fed beefs because those fatty acids make such a huge difference in the cognitive development of children that they say if you don't get enough fatty acids while you're pregnant, your child can have a higher risk of you know being mentally disabled and having some type of cognitive impairment. Um, and that's how important fatty acids are really truly to not only our brain function, but also um, our homo- hormo- hormonal metabolism. So our the building blocks of our hormones are also based off of fats, right? So all of that kind of works together. So making sure that we're eating the right, not not just fats like, you know, processed foods, fats, but like salmon, olive oil, nuts, seeds, and things like that, which when I think of how I was raised, I mean, my parents didn't really know better. They gave me a lot of processed foods like Jacqueline Arc snack cupboard was terrible. I mean, we had all of it, the fruit roll-ups, the chips, the Easy Mac. Like, I did not go and pick up a vegetable out of my fridge. I was going to grab, like, Capri Suns and just things full of sugar and... I don't, I don't know how I made it through my childhood. <laughs> you know what the funny thing, though, is on that front, I mean, like, I grew up relatively... My, my mom was always very mindful of the food she purchased like she was one of the first pioneers to like shop at whole foods for example so like she jumped on the organic train like way ahead of everyone else but the funny thing is that despite essentially like being raised on those good foods whenever I went to friends houses I would automatically migrate towards those snacks that I otherwise didn't have at home so I feel like that's just the nature of being a child right we don't know better so at one point everyone's going to indulge in things they right. shouldn't which is which is a great I'm glad you brought that up too. And really what this also comes down to is balance is key. Um, ADHD can, kids, kids can also be very impulsive. So if you really restrict them from a lot of these things and you restrict them from the fruit roll-ups and things like that, the first thing they're going to do when they go to a friend's house who has it is binge. 
So, you know, we, we need to teach them that, you know, balance is key and it's, it's okay for them to have the fruit roll up or to have the dye now and then, but for the most part, their diet should be really wholesome, healthy foods. And I truly believe if you really eliminate all of those things from your kid's diet, they're going to binge the first chance they get. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. And just curious, what are your thoughts on gluten? Gluten's a really interesting topic. So when I was in that nutrigenetics seminar, um, I actually learned that a large portion of the population actually does have gluten sensitivities. So it's not going to be as severe as like celiac, you know, you can eat the gluten, but you're, it can still affect your digestive tract negatively. So I, I think it really depends case by case here. If someone's struggling, uh, you can try pulling out some of the gluten. Um, but I also think it also depends on how much gluten you're eating. Is it is it just like, is your mom making sourdough and you're having a slice a day? You know, obviously that's going to be a, a bit better than the processed stuff you're getting from the store. Um, but I do think it's very easy to overdo carbs and carbs are at the end of the day sugar and gluten can have, you know, an impact on your microbiome and things like that. So I do think just overall, just being conscious of how much gluten we're eating and how much bread we're consuming is, is kind of key there. I'm one of those. I have a gluten intolerance, so I just try to stay away from it. And it's funny because when I do indulge, I mean, not intentionally, but accidentally, I will feel symptoms of brain fog persist for like up to a week after whatever I ate that had gluten in it. So absolutely that connection. Um, What are some supplements that could possibly help symptoms? Yeah. So, um, so supplements, I want to just put some emphasis here on I, I don't like the love the idea of taking 20 different supplements every day and, you know, getting rid of a medication, but you're taking 20 other pills in supplement form. Um, obviously, taking too many supplements can, can also have impacts, especially if they're fat soluble and you take too much of them. So there are like just, I would recommend, especially just like a wholesome multivitamin for most kids that are dealing with ADHD, not not the Flintstone gummies, you know, like, like a real wholesome vitamin where they're going to get forms of, you know, vitamin D and zinc and iron and, and those key nutrients. And most importantly, as you know, in a way that can be absorbed. Right. And that I don't want to get too much into detail on, you know, how to read the back of a multivitamin. But as you know, a lot of supplements out there have nutrients in them that are not in a form where our body can easily absorb it, right? So you could take like the most generic multivitamin off the shelf, and you might not be actually absorbing a lot of what's in there. And especially if you're not paying attention to the things you're eating, because then your microbiome is probably not balanced, and you're probably not getting the most from your supplements and absorbing Absolutely. nutrients properly either. So I would just most of the time, most of like vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, um, iron, all of those things have been shown to be beneficial for people with ADHD. But most of those you can get from a really wholesome multivitamin. So that's usually where I would start. Um, I definitely think vitamin D, depending on where you live. Um, when I lived in New York, my vitamin D levels were low every winter, like on the brink of below the range it's supposed to be. Um, I never had an issue as soon as I moved to the Carolinas and now I'm in Florida. Um, so I do think with the seasons too, you might have more of a need for like vitamin D and vitamin B and some of those vitamins that, you know, can change a lot when your seasons change depending on where you are. 
So that's something to be mindful of that you might need to supplement with extra. Um, but there are some like herbs that can help. Um, like Jinko is an herb that can help. Ginseng is something that can help water hyssop. Those are all herbs that can, that can help support ADHD. But, you know, I would like to just touch upon that supplements and herbs are not FDA regulated. So you just need to be really mindful of, of where you're purchasing it. Cause the quality can definitely yes. matter. I'm so glad you touched on that too. And I think the irony is that if a supplement is not from a reputable brand or high quality, it can actually do more harm than good. So many people will like walk into CVS, pull something off the shelf and be like, Oh, look, I'm taking my fish oil. And I'm like, where is this sourced from? And it's just, you know, again, education is yeah. key here, but yeah. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And I've also, I've heard people say, you know, uh, I, I didn't have that much energy. And then, you know, I went to Walmart and I got a vitamin B supplement and I took it for a week and I didn't really do anything. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not the a good one or maybe that's not what your body is absorbing. And as you know, like a lot of like folic acid in prenatals, like it needs to be folate. <laughs> you know, we know that now, but it still has folic acid in a lot of supplements. So we just need to be mindful of, you know, what forms these supplements are coming in, where they're coming from. And Quality supplements aren't really super cheap. If you're buying, you know, a two months worth of a multivitamin and it's eight ninety nine, like you gotta think what's what are the sources? Where is it coming from? Is it all synthetic? Is it coming from a plant based source or something that's easy for you to absorb? Like that's all gonna impact the cost, right? So cheaper is not always better. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Um, and you touched on herbs. I'm a huge herb enthusiast and I see you share stuff about your garden on your Instagram every single day, which I'll tag. I love your account. Um, but how could people, I mean, people who are new, right, to just even using herbs, they might be like, okay, how do I use them? Do I cook with them? Do I steep them? What's your preferred method? So if you're someone who doesn't use herbs, the first thing I would say is cook with them. Like that's a great starter step. Um, there are so many ways we can incorporate herbs into our foods that we eat on the daily that will add beneficial essential oils, add beneficial flavonoids, phytochemicals into your body. So I always say the first and easiest way to incorporate it is just to start cooking with them more, right? So typically like something you, you do probably as you wake up, you have some egg, you have some avocado, maybe you have a little sourdough with it you know, maybe just chop up a little basil and sprinkle it on top, you know, super easy. It's just it adds a little bit of extra nutrients, you know, sprinkling cilantro onto your burrito bowls. And it's just like a really easy way to just incorporate it into your food. And then the next step I would say is herbal teas. Herbal teas are really great. And they can have a lot of great benefits. And there are so many great teas to have in the evening, like when you're winding down and you're relaxing, I can provide a lot of benefits as well. And if you're someone who does have ADHD, it can be super beneficial to drink like a chamomile tea, like, you know, two hours before bed to kind of just help wind you down and bring you back into like a very relaxed state. So um, herbal teas are another favorite of mine. And there's so many different kinds. So if you try one and you don't like it, there's so many different other types of herbs and herbal blends. And there are, and I don't want to like advertise any websites on here, but, um, you know, there you are drop your favorite brands, go ahead. Like mountain rose herbs has yes, some phenomenal different blends, right? Like they have so many different kinds. So if one doesn't taste great, don't give up and just throw away herbal teas, like try another because the flavors, you probably know, like they can vary so much between herbal teas. So they do a farmer's market where I live every Saturday. I always migrate towards this one 
stan and it's basically just like herbs, every single herb under the sun. And I look at them, I'm like, what even is this? But I just smell them. And based on the scent, I'll be like, oh, I'll get a pound of this or, you know, whatever of that. But I, I love cooking with them. And I actually just got my own little herb garden because I, I don't have a garden, sadly, but I have yeah. a balcony that I can obviously I love that stuff on. Yeah. So I got my own little herb garden. So I'm like growing oregano and basil. I think they're faring decently right now, but I love that. Anyway. And I and I actually love that you said you went to the farmer's market and she has a bunch and you just smelled and and just picked what spoke to you. So I also think we are very intuitive with our own bodies. And sometimes like I wish we would just lean into what our body feels like it needs. So I feel like you went to that farmer's market stand, you were smelling one and you smelled the ones that smelled good and spoke to you and you went and bought them. And that's great. People should do that, right? And just buy the ones that just feel good to you. I think it was you that I messaged or on Instagram. Oh, the mushroom stand. I saw your mushroom. The mushroom stand. Yeah, yeah that like is one of my awesome. Favorite. I know they're a new vendor. I ran to them. I was like, are you new here? They're like, yeah, it's our first day. And I'm obviously a huge mushroom enthusiast. So yeah, mushrooms is only that. something I've just been starting to investigate more into and read more about. But um, as you know, there's also a lot of super beneficial mushrooms for brain health and for cognitive health. And yeah. you can cook with them, put them into teas, put them into like, um, grind them up and put them into a capsule. So um, that's Huge something else fan. you can look into as well. Yeah. Lion's mane in particular. Uh, yep. Again, I used to just get capsules with host defense, but now since I have this vendor here, I purchased it and it's such a weird looking mushroom. It's so thick, has this texture and like, it's just, yeah, crazy, but I love cooking with it. So I'm, I'm a huge fan. That's awesome. Have you noticed any changes since you've been cooking with those? Um, I don't know if it's placebo. I feel like I may mm-hmm. have better focus, but Hey, I mean, if it helps, then I'm just going to, I mean, it's still providing benefits, not? right? It's still a vegetable. Exactly. Like, well, I guess not technically a vegetable. It's a fungus, a fungus right. adding yeah. nutrients yeah. to your body. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I love that. Awesome. So those are super great nutrition tips. Now shifting a bit, what are some lifestyle adjustments that could help? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess the first thing I should probably touch upon is obviously exercise. Um, I mean, what type of holistic remedy doesn't recommend some daily activity, right? Um, but I, I was reading a lot of ADHD articles when I was writing this um, blog post for you guys. And uh, one thing that really sunk in was actually an article I read that when typically ADHD kids specifically, they, they can develop a really negative relationship with school because they struggle, the teacher probably pick, like, you know, yells at them a lot, or, you know, calls on them for, you know, not paying attention, like, you know, Todd, you paying attention, are you, like, you're always, you're always the one looking out the window, like, I need you to focus. So kids can start to develop kind of like an area in school where they feel like they're not succeeding. And that can be like pretty detrimental to their self esteem and their confidence. Um, but typically, hyperactive children are quite athletic. So it's really great to get people with ADHD into sports because it's something they can excel at. And if they're not really succeeding in the classroom, it's still really good for them to have wins elsewhere um, because it can improve their self-esteem, their mental health. And, you know, not to mention physically, exercise is great for us. Um, And if they have that extra energy, it does give them time to burn off, which, you know, exercising can give you better sleep at night. Um, it reduces stress levels. So obviously there's all the general benefits of exercising. But when I read that, I just thought it was really interesting because I wouldn't have thought about it that way that 
you know, kids need to feel like they win somewhere, you know, and like they're constantly losing everywhere because they're ADHD, it's going to really hinder their self-confidence. So if you give them an outlet that they can be and exceed with that hyperactivity, which is typically sports, then they can funnel that into all their energy into that and still feel good about something at the end of the day. That holds true for adults too, right? We, we need at least one area. We feel like we are quote unquote winning. So I, I love that. Absolutely. So abs- it goes without saying exercise is definitely going to help a majority of your symptoms, ADHD and outside of ADHD. Um, one of the other things, the lifestyle, um, let's see, meditation. So this is like something that's talked about a lot and um, it's the concept of thinking about nothing is extremely difficult. I mean, it's always been an extremely difficult thing for me to grasp. I actually did take a meditation workshop um, when I was in Charlotte and it was like every Tuesday and I went with my mom and we went for like two months and they went through different meditation styles with you. And the one that really stuck with me was the finger tapping technique that I wrote about on your blog post. Yep. Yep. So there's like different points that you don't even need to like touch your trigger points, but just even like getting into a tapping rhythm and counting your taps and then tapping somewhere else. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Can start like it just becomes a cycle, right? And it can can become extremely grounding to someone who can't sit still. Um, but in a way it's a it's a form of meditation because they're getting so focused into just the tapping and counting that your heart rate's gonna go down, your cortisol is gonna go down, your body temperature is probably gonna go down. You're just gonna come into a more relaxed state. Um, and I feel like doing some techniques like that are easier than just sitting there and like, let me just sit in silence for five minutes and think about nothing. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's Could so agree. hard, so hard. So, um, the tapping technique is just a really great, um, I think meditation style for people with ADHD. Um, and it just, it kind of just gives you something to do while you're trying to do nothing. Um, so that in general has been super helpful for me. I think even too, I love that. And I think even too, you know, having something in the background for me, at least that's not silence can also help me in terms of controlling my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I'll put on like the sound of ocean waves, for example. And I recently heard, I wanted to ask you about this app. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called brainwave. It's basically just like 35 binaural programs. Yes. I have an app like that. So I actually learned about that from my meditation teacher as well. People think of meditation, just like you said, they think of someone like sitting in a room in complete silence. That's not the case. And there's different forms of it. And even to walking could be a form of meditation, right? Just something that helps you engage in all five moments. Exactly. Yep. yep. You exactly. see, right. You list something you see, you list something you smell, you list something you hear, you list something you taste and you just keep going around in the circle and it just really grounds you with what you, your all five senses are feeling at that exact moment in time. And that's, that's just being mindful. Right. And when we're being mindful, the thing is being mindful is really the root to understanding all of your triggers. You can't understand what's triggering your ADHD and making it worse until you're mindful in the moment of what's doing it. So until you can ground yourself and be in that specific spot, you're never going to learn what your trigger is because you're not paying enough attention to what those things are. So when you start being mindful about how you're feeling in the moment and how something is making you feel, then you might think like, Example, if you're always going on Instagram, right? And you're scrolling and afterwards your ADHD is worse. We're all there. We've all done it, right? 
and your ADHD is worse. If you go from straight to Instagram, then to the next thing, you you might feel a little drained, a little depressed, but you, you never stop to think why until if you actually get off your phone and then you think you do your five, like, how do I feel? How do I, t- how do I you know, and you take a quick check-in with yourself, then you might think, oh, wow, that's how my phone just made me feel. Like that might be a trigger to why I'm doing this, you know, and then you can start rewiring that. So next time you get off the phone, maybe you feel like I should go take a walk before I go back into my work because the phone to my work is not helping. Right. Yeah. So that's how you start to just rewire your patterns to better manage how you feel. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad you touched on it because quite honestly, that's something that I really struggle with. And the funny thing is that the nature of having a business that has a presence on social media, you feel like you constantly have to be engaging. And if I miss replying to someone or responding, it reflects poorly, but I have to, I'm working on changing that mindset. But it's funny because I, I all feel like I'm being productive if I respond to five comments and then check my email. And then when I get back to the task at hand, just to your point, I feel so drained. Mm-hmm. And multitasking is not a legitimate thing. It's horrible. I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. And to your point too, I think I like read something too, how like the time it takes you to refocus back into the actual task is five or 10 minutes. Absolutely. You know? On all ends, it's not helpful. But do you have any strategies? I'm just curious from like your personal perspective that help you get through daily tasks. Do you segment 40 minute work time, 20 minute mm-hmm. break? Like, are you structured that way? Yeah. So there's a few different things I've done in the past. So like the Pomodoro timer is awesome, right? It's the 45 minutes on 15 minutes off type of style work. Um, and you can kind of change that. If you're someone who really struggles then bring it back, do like 30 minutes, you know, or 30 minutes, five, like 10 minute break, and then 30 minutes, you know, it can break up into whatever works for you. Um, if if it's only 15 minutes, I do 15 minutes, five minutes, 50, like it doesn't matter what that span is. But once you start actually doing that short segment of work, you, you will be able to start doing it longer. So you have to start somewhere. So whether that's 10 minutes of just focused work, then you start at 10 minutes, right? And then you take five minute break and then 10 minutes and a five, you know? So you have to just do what works for you. Um, so that was like one of the techniques I use. Um, I know I talked about that Freedom app. For me, one of my biggest focus burners, especially when I was in grad school, was was my phone. It was so easy. I was in school during COVID. I was working from home. It was so easy for me just to get lost into my phone. Um, But Freedom actually will block certain apps for certain times of the day. And you can put it in like a locked mode. So like whatever you do, you can't get into your apps. You can't override it. And that was like the only way that kept me out of it because I would go into the app because I didn't realize till I added freedom on my phone, how when I first pulled up my phone, how I first immediately went towards like Instagram or Facebook Yep. until you go to click it and your app tells you like, Oh, you can't get in there. You know, it's freedom. You're, you're blocked. And you're just like, I, I want, I actually pulled out my phone to go on Google, right? Yeah. I was going to look something up for, you know, a recipe and somehow I clicked Instagram and now my, my app is telling me I'm not supposed to be on it. Isn't that scary? It is. It's so so mindless. And we all do it. Like we are all guilty of it. And I mean, the other thing too, is like, you can't even feel bad about it because that's how the apps are designed. They're designed to make you do that. So it's a really hard cycle to break. So just having something there to tell you like, you're not supposed to be on this app was enough for me to be like, you know what? 
I'm right. I'm not supposed to be on this app. I'm going to put it back down. I'm going to keep going to what I'm, I'm focusing on. I and I need I, to download that app. That's what I'm doing right after this episode. I will be downloading. And it, it syncs up with your computer, with your phone. So you actually can't even get on the websites on your laptop either. Because sometimes it's like you don't go on your phone. And then before you know it, you're typing in Facebook on your like your yeah. search bar URL. It's crazy yeah. how it wires your brain like that. Um, so it does all sync together, which is nice. See, these are all such great strategies. One other one I wanted to touch on that you have done quite a bit of research on, and I'm a huge fan of this subject, is essential oils and their ability to cross the blood-brain barrier, which makes them so powerful. So can you just elaborate on that for listeners? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can use essential oils. Um, I mean, I mostly want to touch upon here is like the aromatics and... Um, mostly like inhalation or aromatherapy or topical. Um, it can, so there's also a lot that can be connected with like memory scent associations as well. So I want to kind of touch upon that first. So if you're someone whose mother was, you know, always baking cinnamon bread when you were growing up, you know, so um, when we have like smell cinnamon or cinnamon essential oil, it can bring back a lot of feelings that were associated cognitively with a memory with cinnamon. So um, there's a lot of essential oils that people can use just purely for the memory scent association to help them relax themselves. Um, depending on if it was a if it was a really good thought. So say like when your mom was baking cinnamon bread, it was like during the holidays and you guys were at home and as a family and hanging out. And so it's like when you smell that cinnamon essential oil, you're going to just fall into this relaxed state of just peace and calmness. And granted it can work opposite as well. And um, like one of my friends, her, her mother was struggling with cancer. And when she was struggling with cancer, she used to diffuse lavender a lot. Um, now my friend has, you know, a very interesting relationship with the smell of lavender because it brings her back to kind of like a really sad time when her mom was going through cancer and she just immediately goes back to the memory of her mom diffusing it. And her mom did get through cancer and, and things like that. But from now on, she, it kind of brings just feelings of emotion and heaviness because that was a very emotional, heavy time for her. So finding, you know, what works for you to kind of like relax you and it doesn't have to be associated with a memory and it might, it might bring back certain feelings from a memory you don't even understand or realize because sometimes those just get stored in your brain. So you might just smell the cinnamon and just feel good, but you don't really know why. And it could be because it's very deep in there with, a, with an associated memory with that scent. And same with the sad ones, right? Like she might have not remembered that it has to do with her mom and cancer and things like that. But cognitively, you might smell lavender and just feel heavy and you don't know why because you don't remember the memory that was associated with it. So there are certain like oils that can help ground you and typically like wood smelling oils are things that can ground you. But um, I think it's always important to just kind of pick, like you said, the herbs, just pick oils that speak to you. So there are certain oils that you're just going to smell and it might not make sense to anyone else as to why it helps calm you and bring you peace and relaxation. But if that's a type of oil and it's not recommended for ADHD or anything like that, like you can still use it. It's still going to work beneficially for you. So if it's going to relax you, it's going to lower your cortisone. It's going to you know decrease your blood pressure and it's going to help you focus. 
I love that. I just pulled one here. You're going to laugh. I have probably about like 10 or so just sitting on my desk right now. One of them is called attention assist. And it has really, really helped me um, just in terms of focus. And it has vetiver, frankincense, lavender, and cedarwood. Yes. So those are definitely all calming oils, right? Like cedarwood is a woodsy oil. Um, They're high in like certain terpenes that are just going to relax you and work with your limbic system. When you inhale them, that's going to just relax your whole body, lower your cortisol, things like that. Um, but like I said, just just for people to keep in mind, just because it relaxed you doesn't necessarily mean it's going to relax someone else if they have certain like emotional or associations with it. Um, I know some people just hate certain smells like cedarwood, I think is great mixed with stuff. But um, I've heard from a lot of people like cedarwood smells like cat pee to me and I can't get over it. And I'm like, and that's okay. You don't need to diffuse cedarwood on its yeah. own. Even if like you're reading a blog post and it's like cedarwood's great for ADHD and you smell, you're like, it smells like cat pee. If yeah. it smells like cat pee, it's probably not going to help you. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, that's like my parents. Like my mom will go to sleep with this like concoction of essential oils I put together for her and she gets into bed. My dad's like, what is that horrible smell? It's just, yeah, people definitely have different uh, opinions on, on scents, but I, I like the concept of picking one that speaks to you. That's, that's Yeah. And like frankincense is very commonly used for meditation and for relaxation. So there are certain oils that are put together for a reason because they work well together. They blend well together and therapeutically for, you know, um, attention that, that blend is great. And what something I would recommend for attention, those are great oils like lavender, frankincense, um, vetiver and cedarwood. Perfect. But those four just might not work for someone else. And that's okay, right? Because we have so many essential oils out there. So um, something I actually used to like to focus on were actually high flora blends. Um, I didn't really like woodsy blends when um, I was doing work and things like that. I just, it just didn't really help me focus. I know a lot of people like vetiver for that, but um, I actually found like more blends with like bergamot and like jasmine and like high floral notes to help me. But I also love flowers. <laughs> so, you know, I, I grow my lilies and I could just sit at my counter and smell my lilies all day long. So for me, that could just be like a very personal thing. And that's what grounds and relaxes me. So that's what I found helpful for me for studying. So I think it can also just vary depending on the person. Huge fan of essential oils. One day we'll have to have a whole other episode just dedicated to Absolutely. Again, <laughs> love essential oils. We have covered so much. Um, I'm so grateful for you and all the work you do. And I know that this episode is going to help a lot of listeners out there. But I would like to end with one question that I like yeah. to pose to each interviewee. And that is, what does being well and strong mean to you? So that's a loaded question. That one you could have told me ahead of time. <laughs> um, being well and strong. So wellness is, you know, when you think about wellness, it can be a little overwhelming at times with all the information out there. Um, so I, I like to define, you know, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split it up into two words. Well, into just small, actionable steps towards a better health. Um, I think it's really easy to get everything so convoluted with, you know, what should I be doing? I should be eating this. I shouldn't be using my microwave. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be making my sourdough from scratch. And it, it can be information overload and it can be overwhelming. And then it can make someone not want to do any of those changes at all. So I like to break it up into small, actionable steps a day. So like, well, I see wellness as making small little changes every single day that are going to impact your health in a positive way and and strong, well and strong. So 
I do feel like wellness and paying attention to your health is also going to help you be stronger. Um, it's going to help you emotionally, mentally. It's going to build your resilience, you know? So you can't build resilience and strength until you ha- incorporate your wellness piece, right? And I love that quote that it's, what is it? It's like, um, it's like spend, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember it. Uh, if you don't spend like today focusing on your wellness, you're going to be spending years correcting your illness. It's like something along those lines. And that quote like really sticks with me. I'm like those small things add up and it's going to make a huge impact over time. Or you're going to spend years trying to correct an illness, like an autoimmune illness or you know, chronic condition because you couldn't just take one small step every day towards a better health future, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That was beautiful. See, you nailed it. <laughs> anyway, um, and also to Dr. Anita, where can listeners find you? Um, they can find me on Instagram. I'm most active on there. Oily Scientist is my handle. And you can find me on there. Well, I will link all of that in the show notes as well. And the article you wrote too for Well and Strong. Because awesome. It's truly great. One of my favorites. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe, leave a rating, and share it with others. Be sure to visit wellandstrong.com to access notes from the show and to stay current with new content. I'm so grateful you joined me. Be well and be strong. Be strong.